Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host, Paige Renee. We have Teddy G here as always. I mean, we're going to talk about the Masters this entire time. I'm sure there's so much to talk about, but did you have a good weekend? I had a good weekend. It could have been a better weekend. Um, I'm experiencing complete Masters hangover right now. (laughs) I feel like this is National Google Sports Day where I'm Googling, okay, you know, when do the NHL playoffs start? When do the NBA playoffs start? When does the NFL draft take place? Like, what's next? But um, it was a good weekend, but we were kind of devoid of drama, and uh, most of my master's picks whiffed. So, yeah, it could have been better. How about you? Um, <laughs> I had a bit of a rough night yesterday, and maybe there wasn't drama in the tournament, but I was experiencing a lot of drama on social media, and it was something I have never endured in my life. Like, of course I get hate all the time and I'm used to that, but I have never been called a racist before and it like shook me to my core. Like I was a mess last night. I honestly couldn't handle it. It was something that was so bizarre to me. And I'll I'll read the tweet that kind of started all of this. So Hideki Matsuyama ended up winning the masters, which was awesome. The first time a male has won a major in Japan, huge deal. And so I said, the menu for the champion's dinner is going to be absolute fire next year. (laughs) How you racist, (laughs) how dare you say you like Japanese food? I was shocked, absolutely shocked. People were comparing me to Fuzzy Zeller. And if any of you guys don't know what happened, Fuzzy Zeller made a uh, remark about Tiger Woods 
um, serving fried chicken and collard greens at the Champions Dinner, or in in quote he said, or whatever those people like to eat. So yeah. that was <laughs> to compare me to that was honestly so unbelievable. Like I am so sensitive to different cultures and people, and I would never ever say anything to be insulting to someone else. And you know, it is common knowledge that every year the winner creates a menu to honor where they're from. It doesn't matter where it is. And especially in Japanese culture, that is so important. And I would think that Hideki would want to honor Japan by serving Japanese food at the champions dinner. And again, people were just, I, Teddy, like I seriously like broke down in tears because oh. I, because I couldn't handle it. It's so scary these days because cancel culture is so real and you never know what's going to be the tweet or something that you say that's going to get you canceled. And I've seen this before with, you know, other people in the golf industry who have said something with, you know, maybe their right intentions and it came off wrong or someone didn't, you know, understand the comment and then they're canceled and they lose everything. And it's like, I can't believe. And in that second, I was like, I can't believe I might lose everything just because I said, I like Japanese food. (laughs) Like what the fuck? So a few thoughts on that. And like, I'm I'm friends with a Chicago broadcaster and he called um, uh, an African-American player a thug and he got like massive shit for it. And it's interesting because like he and I are, well, he's older than I am, but like Bill Lambeer was a thug. There were white players who were thugs. There were black players with a thug, but now you really, I guess, can't call anyone a thug, especially an African-American. Okay. So that was... He got into some trouble for that, but this one was so innocuous. So I had the absolute same thought as you, Paige, after Matsuyama won. Like, I loved, I loved Tiger's menu, um, you know, after he won recently because it was fajitas and it was like some great fancy sushi rolls. And then I was thinking about Matsuyama. So I've spent a little bit of time in Tokyo. I was covering the Cubs. And I mean... Who if you could give me a surf and turf of Kobe beef and whatever exotic sushi they have. It's amazing. Japanese food is the best. The best. So I went through, I saw that you were upset on Twitter. So I went through your replies and it's just typical. It's like people who are just, I don't mean to get into name calling, but just like fucking idiots. Yeah. Like the guy who thinks is going to be fire means you're saying Japanese food is spicy and he's trying to correct you by saying, no, 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 no. It's Thai food is spicy. Because he doesn't know what the expression means is going to be fired. Now, I didn't see the other ones, but I saw a lot of people saying, guys, you know, these replies are ridiculous. So I was upset that you were upset. I wish you could brush it off and just attribute it to a bunch of, you know, stray morons. But it it sucks that uh, they got to you. It was just something that has never happened to me before. And again, to be called a racist by someone is something that I take so seriously. And it's something that, you know, I try to fight so much in my daily life because I have a group of diverse friends. And it was just something that I was like, I can't believe someone would ever stoop to that level to call me something when there's actual like hate crimes happening all around the world. And I'm getting called a racist because I said something positive about Japanese food. It was just, again, one of the most outrageous moments in all of my time on social media. And it it almost like ruined the masters for me because last night I was just so consumed with with all of that. And, and the worst part was, like you were saying, they're just trolls and they didn't mean it. But to like so 
like e- say that so easily to someone else when it right. like, truly affects me so deeply. And I had someone DM me and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I called you Fuzzy Zeller. It was a joke. And I'm like, that's not a joke. Like, yeah. I don't take that lightly. And that could like ruin my life by just insinuating that I am I am like that. Like people just don't think through when they're trying to troll. Like exactly. I I will troll on social media and I feel like I can take it. But when it comes to cancel culture, like I said, it is just very scary that we live in this world where you have to be so particular with what you say or you're going to get canceled. Like that's not it's not fair at all. And it really, really sucks. So it reminded me of an episode of The Office in the first season, (laughs) Diversity Day. (laughs) And hopefully you know what I'm talking about. So Michael has no idea like what's insensitive and what isn't insensitive. (laughs) So he's dealing with Oscar. And I think Oscar refers to himself as a Mexican. And Michael's like, hey, that's you can't say that. He's like, but I am Mexican. That's not offensive. But then Michael doesn't think it's insensitive if he's like imitating an Indian person. So finally, Kelly smacks him in the face. So it's a little bit like that. People now, they don't understand what is offensive and non-offensive. It's not offensive to say, I love Japanese food. You're not like, uh, you know, blaspheming white culture then because you're not also saying, I love American food. I wish you could just let those idiots hit that mute button or that block button, but I know it bothers you. Again, and I I do too. And I feel like I've been so good lately with just letting everything just like roll off my back and I don't even care about it. But again, this one was just something that really, really like cut me pretty deep. And it was, it was scary. Like, again, it was like, I could lose everything in a minute of seconds just by a tweet that was interpreted wrong. And that's like so hard to take when I put so much effort and care and thought into everything that I put out, out there on social media. And I would never, ever want to say anything offensive. And clearly this was not offensive at all. But it was almost like concerning how many people thought it was offensive. And people are, they don't really know what to say and what not to say. So I, have you seen Ugly Delicious on Netflix? have not. It's an amazing doc where they talk about uh, food tied into culture and tied into racism. Um, it's amazing. So if anyone is a little confused on my tweet or why it was uh, not considered racist and how what Fuzzy Zeller is, go watch that doc. And that's something that is, it's amazing. They have two seasons of it. Um, it's one of my favorite docs on Netflix. And if you love food, you're going to love it as well too. So definitely go check that out. But let's let's move past that. I'm going to take a deep breath. Yeah. Let's just get right into the Masters because it was it was an interesting one. I'm on the fence because it, I everyone was saying it was boring, but I don't think it was boring because I think we were so spoiled with the 2019 Masters that like nothing is ever going to live up to that. But I think that's yeah. what we always think of when we think of the Masters now and like that moment, which was one of the most incredible sports moments in history. And now we're just kind of like, well, now what? <laughs> what do we yeah. do now? Well, we've had so many great ones, and I've talked about this, but when I covered them from 09 to 19, it felt like every year was close and dramatic or at least quirky like the Danny Willett year. But, you know, you had Adam Scott winning with that that dramatic putt uh, in extra holes. Um, You had Bubba Watson with that unbelievable gap wedge from the pine straw. Mickelson's wins were cool. Of course, Tiger in 19. So, it almost always like Sergio, the guy who certainly I never thought would win a master. So <laughs> they've been so good that the spoiling is true. I mean, obviously Dustin blitzed everybody in November. 
I think we were just so grateful to have golf at that point that we wouldn't have dared complain about the finish, even though it wasn't close. And then Matsuyama was just so much better. It, it, it's so funny, Paige, how people will look back on it five or 10 years and be like, oh, he won by one shot. Must have been tight. But there was only like five minutes of drama on Sunday or, you know, maybe a little more than that. So on number one, when he, when he sprays it way right on his drive, so he gets into some early trouble. And then Xander almost holds it out on 15. But then, um, you know, Matsuyama makes a six, salvages uh, something on 15, scratches out a bogey. And then your boy Xander. What was up with the tee shot on 16? He's a joke artist. I mean, I... I mean, you have to call it like it is. He never seems to seize the moment. He had a perfect opportunity to stick it close. The momentum was all shifted towards him after 15. And he, if he stuck that shot within, you know, 10 to 5 feet, I think he had a really good shot to at least get into a playoff. But, I mean, hit in the water. It's not even like he hit uh, the middle of the green and had, you know, like a 30-footer. He like fucking dumped it in the water. It's like, what are you doing? And then his next shot wasn't that much better either. And it's just like, what? It was the same thing that happened on 17 at um, TPC Scottsdale and the waste management where there was so much room, right? And so he could have bailed out as far right as he wanted to. And then he snap hooks it into the water. And then same thing on the par three too. It's like, you have so much green, Pin, I mean, water was not even in play. Like, I don't think people realize how terrible of a shot yes. that was. That was not even a missed club. I mean, he completely mishit it to hit in the water. What was odd, too, I mean, I thought he did extremely well in his post-tournament interview. Um, you know, he wasn't pissy. He was upbeat. I mean, he apparently, after he swung, he told his caddy, I flushed it, which is doubly weird because, as you say, the water is really not even in play. and the in on Sunday, it is there for the taking on number sixteen. Well, he had eight iron too. It's not like he's hitting like a four or five iron. Right, he had eight iron. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was just that was a bad moment. And, and when he finally holds it out for triple, and Jim Nance says that's his first triple in all of his major competition in his career. He had never made worse than a double, and literally on the biggest hole of his life on what is, you know, a part three where you should really never make worse than a three on Sunday. He did, man. He gagged. It was ugly. Well, and I thought it was interesting that Dottie Pepper was like, you know, he's known for not, you know, rising to the occasion, but this time it was just a bad shot at the wrong moment. I'm like, that's what choking is. It's hitting a bad (laughs) shot at the right moment. I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Like, of course he choked. He didn't pull off the shot when he needed to. And I I don't know. I feel like this one's really going to stick with him for a while. I said that about waste management. And again, it's like, he just can't pull it off when it matters. And that's, that separates the good players from the great players. He and Tony Finau are kind of the same guy right now. They're so skilled. They hit it beautifully. They are, you know, you feel like you can pick them for a top 10 or even a top five anywhere they tee up and you're probably going to get cashed out. Like Finau, there's a really good stat. He has made the top 10 and I believe eight of his last 12 majors. Like that's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, T10 in last eight of 12. Xander is close to that where you know they're going to, you know, you're going to, they're going to be in the mix. But then you also know they're not going to win and nobody wants that rep. I think the difference between Tony and Xander is Tony is a streaky putter. And so he doesn't really choke in the big moments. He just doesn't make the putts he needs to make. 
but he does that all week long. It's yeah. not like he's, you know, making everything Thursday through Saturday and then Sunday he's not making anything. We even saw him during the Masters miss some short putts. It's like he misses so many putts throughout the entire week that he should be almost winning by like five shots, but he just doesn't putt well. Xander, incredible ball striker, is hitting bad shots under pressure. I think that's where the difference is, where it's like not Tony's not just like, you know, snap hooking into the water or right. you know, chunking a wedge in the water. You know, he he just isn't making putts. Xander is full out like choking. But Tony like handed the Genesis to Max Homa in the playoffs. Okay, yeah, I that's mean, that true. Was, I was that like was... in my mind, I was like, he definitely ch- he chunked that shot on eighteen. But like, let's hopefully Tony doesn't remember that because I'm making such a great point right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was Max Homa knocking on Tony's door and saying. <laughs> Sir, are you interested in winning the Genesis? Because I've missed a three-footer on the 72nd yeah. green, and I've hit a poor shot in the playoff. And would you like to have this victory for me? And Tony's saying, nah, you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I will say on Sunday, though, no one really rose to the occasion except for nope. Will Zalatoris. I think he played much better than everyone expected him to play. Um, he first time playing at the masters. I think he's like the feel good story of the week. Everyone's rooting for him. Now it was fun to watch him play so solid for four rounds and never falter. Cause I mean, not going to lie. I was like, he's probably going to shoot like a 75 higher on Sunday. His putting philosophy stroke, everything scares the hell out of me. I don't know what is happening when he's got that putter in his hand. (laughs) But he he looks good. He's got a fun name. He's American. He's fun in interviews. It's in a ton. Uh, He's a string bean. So, you know, for people like you who don't like Bryson and think that uh, a proper golf body is still kind of like sinewy. uh, He was he was great to watch. And then Jordan was amazing from his approach on nine on. I mean, he, he was just pouring in birdie after birdie after birdie. Didn't get it done on 18, but he had an amazing like nine hole stretch there. Just fell short, broke a lot of hearts, including mine. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I was wanting Jordan to play well because I do like Jordan. He's good for golf. And I think if he won the Masters, then, I mean, it would have been a massive story. But at the same time, I said that he was not going to win and he didn't win. So I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather be right than see someone be successful, okay? <laughs> yeah, the guy was finished like fifth and you're claiming victory because you said he wasn't he wasn't back yet. I mean, if he's not back, he is this close to being back. Yeah. What do you think was missing with this year's Masters? And we were trying to talk about this on the live stream yeah. that we did yesterday. Um, because it it wasn't that boring. I mean, it did come down to, you know, the last couple holes. It was kind of close there for a little bit. Um, Hideki winning is a massive story for Japan. Um, he seems like such a genuine, nice guy. And he was so happy. You could just tell that this meant so much to him and just the pressure that probably just <laughs> is off his back now. I mean, ah. he was carrying like, I mean, it's so, so much pressure. He's a massive superstar over in Japan, and for the be, be the first male winner is incredible for him. But it just didn't have that spark. <laughs> it didn't. Um, and on the pressure point, like, think about it. Uh, that's one when Sergio won, finally having won his first major after being, like, you know, one of the most talented players to come out of Europe in decades. 
when Phil won for the first time there. So, I mean, you've had moments like that and, and you feel happy for him because yeah. you don't want to be a great player who's never won a major. There's so many of those. And when it's, when that's the major, uh, they've accomplished something. Nobody can take away that green jacket for the rest of your life. But Paige, I think it was two things. It was probably fewer spectators, fewer patrons there. But really, it was just the lack of, you know, sizzle at the top of the leaderboard. I mean, Hideki, when he came out of the, you know, the break on Saturday, the weather delay after spending his time playing games on his phone. I think that's going to be my my move forever now. I'm not going to hit balls <laughs> or practice or anything. He was, he just strangled the life out of the tournament. He was too good. And then, right, the guys who we expected to, to step up early on Sunday didn't. And at one point, wasn't it like a five-shot lead? It's hard to... Yeah, it's just hard to be excited. Even betting wise, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, all of a sudden, like on points, bet the outright winner, Hideki's minus two thousand, and Will Zalatoris is like plus fourteen hundred. So fourteen to one. It's like, how do you get excited betting any of this? So that just happens sometimes in sports, man. Where one guy is just so much better than the field, just like sucks the life out of me. I really miss Tiger. I, I think even when he's in the field, he just makes it a little bit more is- interesting. I miss Brooks too. I mean, Brooks missing the cut. We had a lot of big names miss the cut. We had Jason Day at plus nine, Patrick Cantley, which was a huge surprise to me at plus eight, plus eight, Roy McIlroy at plus six, Brooks Kepka at plus five, and Dustin Johnson at plus five. So a lot of huge names missed the cut. Why do you think none of them have been playing all that solid lately? The Cantley thing uh, was definitely the most baffling. I mean, uh, a lot of smart people liked him to win top five, top 10, to lead the tournament on Thursday because he's a great first round guy. <laughs> I have no idea why he would shoot what he shot. That was, you know, baffling. Dustin, you know, I think didn't shock us just because he hasn't been playing well. And, you know, yeah. he withdraws from as many tournaments as he finishes top 20. <laughs> Uh, Rory is just confused right now. I feel like he's in golf jail. He doesn't know where the ball's going. So that completely sucks. And he's probably questioning himself. Um, so there were a few, yeah, that, that, that takes away Brooks. You felt like, right. He was either going to win or do terribly. And it was, uh, he did pretty terribly. He looked like he was in so much pain. I don't even know why he played. I mean, he was in a water hazard and he had to climb like up the hill and he, had almost had to have his caddy like drag him up the hill. I mean, he couldn't move. He like literally couldn't walk. I don't know if he was trying to have like a Tiger Woods U.S. Open moment, you know. Right. But I, I just felt like why, why go play if you're going to do more harm to your body? He's still young, and that could have potentially like ended his career if he tweaked it a wrong way. Wow. Well, because all he cares about is the majors, so now he can True. he doesn't have to worry for another like five weeks until the PGA Championship comes up. Um, also, I guess he was showing off that bright pink hat. What did you, what did you think of that hat there? I love when guys wear pink. I think pink, well, pink's my favorite color. Uh, but I did, I liked it. I liked the whole matching pink outfit. I think he yeah. pulled it off. I think, uh, I usually like, like the pink that like Ian Poulter wears. I, love I like the, the pastel pink. pink. Yeah. Yes. More than the, you know, riding around in a bicycle in Manhattan and wearing a bright pink pink hat so nobody hits me with their car that, that that's what that pink hat felt like to me yeah well we're talking about just like lack of superstars when we see will zalatoris you know play so well is he the next big american star hmm. yeah i mean he's joining this group now with like 
Colin Morikawa and I don't know, is Matthew Wolf still in this group or is he no longer in this group? We also, I mean we gotta talk what, about Matthew Wolf this week with what happened with yeah. a DQ, which was very odd. He signed an incorrect scorecard, which is something that should never happen when you're in the pros. I you know how to count. You know what you're doing, and you also have your caddy double-checking it as well. Most of the time, the guys will have their caddy, and then while you're – most people don't realize this is how it works. So when you're playing a tournament, it you do this from junior golf, college golf. Every tournament that you're in, it's the same process, even amateurs. You go in, and you read the score off one by one, and your playing partner has to say, like, yes, 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 yes for all of them. So you pretty much at that point, you've triple-checked it, and then you send it over to um, the scorer who's in there, and then they, again, will say, you know, like, 30, 40, you know, 70, and then you have to go, yes, that's correct. So at, at what point was he like, you know what, that's not right, so it, automatically you think, did he cheat? Did he try to cheat? Did yeah. he not want to play? Did he try to purposely get himself DQ'd? Because there's no way that you should shine an incorrect scorecard at any point in your career. So often the incorrect scorecard is the other way. Sign for one higher. Yeah, because I think guys are so worried about the perception of cheating that somebody marks down a five instead of a four and, and you don't, you know, you, you just don't catch it. In this case, I mean, it really didn't matter. He wasn't even close to the cut line. Clearly, he wasn't trying to cheat, but it, it just shows, I think, an overall sloppiness. But can I tell you my favorite story along those lines, Paige? I don't think I've ever told you this one. I want to hear it. So I'm playing in a pro-am with Boo Weekly. This is like a bunch of years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, what is Boo and doing these days? <laughs> what is he doing these days? He's probably getting ready for, you know, Fishing run the Supreme and hunting Court. And <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's probably, you know, getting his master's degree in criminology or something. He's a very, you know, he's a very learned guy. No, Boo is, is fun as fuck. I mean, total Southern yeah. boy and, just, he's the best. you know, just a good time, chill and all that. So we're, uh, we're on a green and Tiger spots him and Tiger sees him and goes, you're my hero. So he, and he just kind of laughs it off. So I asked Boo's caddy, I'm like, why did, what happened with Tiger? Why did he call him that? He said, well, said a few weeks ago, um, Boo was playing with Sergio Garcia. And because you keep the scorecard of your, you know, playing competitor, mm -hmm. Boo got, had the wrong score for Sergio. Sergio didn't catch it and Sergio got DQ'd. It gets even better. A couple weeks later, and actually I think this was in the PGA Championship. It was, it was, it was a thing. <laughs> A couple of weeks later, they're playing together again, Sergio and Boo. And Boo again has the wrong score for Sergio. This time, Sergio catches it and remains in the tournament. But like, how quick of how quick was Tiger to be like, "You're my hero," and they know exactly what he's talking about because he got Tiger's nemesis, Sergio, booted out of a tournament. That's amazing. I have signed <laughs> two incorrect scorecards in my entire career, and both of them for. One shot higher than lower. Oh, what happened? So I was, a, it was Silver Bell and it was pouring rain and my scorecard was pretty much like soaked and barely uh. together. And I think I just couldn't see what it was and I signed it. And then another one, the other one was in a college event at Stanford and 
I literally don't know. Like I went through it and I, and I honestly think I just, I thought I made a five instead of a four. Like I, in my mind, I was like, I thought I made a bogey and I told them bogey and I thought I made bogey. And then I realized like I actually didn't, I made a four. Um, but again, it doesn't matter if you sign for one higher, you still got to play the next day, which is weird. So I got to ask you, mm. if you sign an incorrect scorecard, whether it's lower or higher, should you be disqualified? Because I always thought it was weird that if you sign for one higher, you still sign for the incorrect score, even though it's not lower, it's still incorrect. So I think you should be yeah. cute either way. Do you? It's this, uh, there's a moment in The Simpsons, there's a golf episode where uh, I believe it's Tom Kite who's talking to Homer and he goes, Homer, you know, the conventional way of cheating in golf is to lower your score. <laughs> and Hook is Homer so dumb that he doesn't get it. He probably thinks it's like baseball where the higher number is better. Um, no, I like that, that if you sign for an incorrect scorecard, but it's the other way you're reverse cheating. No, I think you should still be able to compete in the event. That's just incompetence and not, not truly cheating. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, my coach was not happy with me at the Stanford one. That, that was for sure. Cause I had the low score of uh, the day out of my team and oh. then wasn't great. Wasn't great. But those are the two times I've ever messed up. Um, and again, it is weird because you don't even realize it until, you know, someone else catches it. Like my parents were like, you definitely shot, you know, this score and not that score. And then my coach said the same thing. She's like, no, like I walked with you the whole day. You definitely shot that. And I was like, no, like I'm pretty sure I shot something different. So I don't know. I don't Real know. quick, was it a par four, par five? Like what? I don't fully remember. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I've had so many. It's weird. I remember like the really, really bad, bad rounds, but all everything else in between, I don't really remember all that much. Like I played so many tournaments, so many junior golf tournaments, so many college tournaments, so many pro tournaments. After a while, it just kind of like blends into each other. But there are like a couple that like three or four tournaments in my entire career that stand out. And I remember like so vividly for some reason I was playing it. They called them Niners. So it's like when I very first started playing, you know, there's nine holes and we sure. used to have one of the parents be like our walking scorer for the day. And my dad did it. And this is probably like my third or fourth tournament I've ever played in. And when I, I kept step, stepping up to the ball and I kept, touching it like the ball like would slightly move and every time my dad be like that's a shot page that's a shot and then but he wasn't calling it on other girls and I like was so mad at my dad that day and that was one of the tournaments that I remember so vividly to this because he had this like stupid like Greg Norman like hat on I like remember (laughs) what he was wearing too and I just remember him like looking up like underneath the stupid fucking hat and being like that's another stroke page like oh it was that was horrible. So the straw hat, which, by the way, I think Greg looked great in. I think he pulled off the straw hat better than the baseball cap. But and I think we'll get into this with Abraham answer. You know, the, the, the golf rule that I find so strange. And I guess you're talking about how your ball moved. Like if you lay your club right behind it, you're not touching the ball, but like you're touching the grass and then your ball moves like the yes. slightest bit and goes. I mean, give me a fucking break. I mean, yeah. why is that a penalty? Yeah, dad, why is that a penalty? <laughs> I had Yeah, Greg just, Norman wannabe. <laughs> there's like so many moments with my with my dad in golf that were like so unpleasant. He used to oh. caddy for me too, and we would just get into it like back and forth all the time. So he lost his caddying job and my mom had to caddy for me. But yeah, let's get into the Abe answer rules. 
issue that he had because it was bizarre. It was bizarre. So he grounded his club. They're calling it he grounded his club in the bunker, but they zoomed in, did it in slow motion. And as he was hovering, he brushed a little bit of the sand off, which you could not have seen. No. Far away. And you could not have seen from the naked eye and also in real time. And it is bizarre to me that they ended up giving him a penalty for it because why are we still zooming in? And slow, doing slow motion. It doesn't make any sense to me. He clearly wasn't trying to cheat. It wasn't, wasn't a Patrick Reed situation where you could see him with like a fucking like shovel literally and from the naked Uh eye, real time, like literally dusting. Exactly. There's like poofs of sand when Patrick Reed was doing it. And that was something that really bothered me with this was because everyone was coming to Abe's defense. People were like, well, why wouldn't you do this if it's Patrick Reed? Because Patrick Reed is blatantly cheating. Like, you can see him cheating in the bunker. He's literally brushing sand away. This is a completely different situation. Yeah, for the 37th time. Patrick Reed gets no benefit of the doubt, whether it's an embedded ball (laughs) or a fairway bunker. We know what he's up to. I consider myself, Paige, to have pretty good eyesight. I watched that video four times, and I really couldn't see any sand move. Obviously, other people could. And the zoomed in slow motion one, too. I couldn't see it the first time. I watched it probably like three times, and I was like, what are they even looking at? What are they talking about? Stuff like that is just pure fucking garbage. I don't get it. If they zoomed in on every single bunker shot of every single player during every tournament, how many guys would get penalties and women would get penalties? What are we doing here? I, it's really, that was upsetting in part because I had a little action going on answer. <laughs> and seriously, like for the, you know, now that golf betting is such a big deal too. You, you really want to go through that and scrutinize every single shot and see when a ball's sitting up. Remember John Rom got that penalty yeah. near a green a, a couple years ago and, just stop with that. Can we have some common sense? Like, it seems like there's some common sense rules back in golf now in terms of, you know, optionally the flag stick in. And like, I was honestly unclear after Justin Rose missed that putt that you're allowed to then tap down on stuff into your putting line. Like that to me looked a little weird. Why would you allow players to, to do it right in their line? But that's allowed now. So I'm always confused on what's allowed and what's not allowed. So what was the difference? Because uh, I'm still a little confused with the whole situation. Why did he end up getting the penalty shot, even though he said he didn't um, purposely do it? But this happened with Patrick Reed, and he said he didn't purposely do it, and then they didn't end up calling a penalty shot. So why did Abe end up getting the penalty shot and Patrick didn't? I don't understand it <laughs> i was looking at it, i'm like did somebody call this in yeah that was also confusing too because i thought someone called it in but apparently they also changed that rule in 2019 but i so it, it was stupid because no one knows what the rules are anymore because they keep changing no them doesn't. so many times but okay so i thought in 2019 it was you can't call in after the round was completed. So that's what I thought they changed the rule to because this happened with Lexi Thompson when she finished yes. and said, then someone called it in and they then decided that they're going to assess her a penalty. So that's why I thought they changed it. But now they're saying that you can't call in at all. 
So I, I like, I literally don't know the rules. If you ask me even like how to take a drop from a hazard now, I don't even know. Is it still the same as it was before? Because like they changed these rules and they're rules that like don't even matter. They don't even matter. Like it's so stupid. How about this? Um, I wish I could remember the player. Oh, I think this is when they were showing on Saturday, the replay from 2019. All right, so Molinari rinses his shot into Ray's Creek on number 12. His drop was like 20 yards left of the line where his shot went in the water. I was just watching this. I was saying, why is he allowed to drop so far left? I thought it was two clubs and no closer and on the line. And so, yes, I mean, here we are. I'd like to think I'm no more golf than 99% of people out there and the rules still baffle me. I mean, I, I played competitively. I, it was my <laughs> yes. responsibility to know the rules and I still don't, <laughs> I don't understand them now. And again, it's like they keep changing them. It's like, okay, we're not going to drop shoulder length. We're going to drop from knee length. No one wants that. No one yes. ever asked for that. No yes. one was ever like, you know what, USGA? <laughs> right. You know what? I don't want to drop from my shoulder anymore. I want to drop from my knee. No one in the history of ever has ever written in and asked for that. No one's asking for that. I think they should go back to how it was like decades oh. ago. Do you know this? That they used to drop it over your shoulder without looking. I mean, before you know, it's going to be like underneath concept. your, you know, underneath your legs, <laughs> like I, two fingers. Like they're going to yes. change the rule again. I'm sorry for everyone listening to this with headphones because I am getting so heated and mad about this because it's so fucking <laughs> dumb. And this is why people don't want to get into golf. It's like, why do you make the rules more complicated yeah. over and over and over again? When, when there's things that we're actually asking for and we want changed in golf and it's not just rules, it's like other things as well. It's like they change the things that don't matter to anyone at all. It's like, how dumb are you guys to like not figure it out? There's so many smart people. The two good changes that came to like, I know, is the rant over. I'm done, I'm done. All right, give me one more second. Like for when I play recreationally, I love the fact that it seems like there's no out of bounds anymore. If you or really for a lost ball, like you can't find your ball. We've got some sanity involved here. Get close to where it was. Take a drop. Add a penalty. There's still always debates in my group. Like, do you have to drop it in the rough? Do you have to drop it to clubs? What if you're behind a tree? Can you drop it in the fairway? I mean, that stuff hasn't been settled yet, but at least you don't have to re-tee, you know, and basically hitting your third shot. And then it is good that you can leave in the flagstick, especially like during COVID. That was huge when nobody wanted to touch anything. Beyond that, absolutely, Paige. I have I have lost contain. I still don't know what the hell the rules are. And of course, they're different for the pros versus me. You know what's another stupid fucking rule, too? This one really bothers me. So you hit a ball that you think might be lost or... Just in, you know, you're not sure if you can find it or not. Not even talking about OB. Just you, you won't, you don't know if you can find it or not. And then you hit a provisional. You then find your original golf ball. Right. You then don't have an option to then hit your provisional because you found your golf ball. Sure. So then your, your two options are to take a drop or go back to the tee. But you already hit the provisional. Why do you have to go back to the tee to hit another shot if you found your golf ball? Like, why, that makes 
no sense to me. It's like, okay, I'm going to go walk back all the way and hit another tee shot when I just hit another tee shot that's in the fairway or wherever it is. That is such a stupid rule. If you hit a provisional ball yeah. and you still find your ball and you don't want to play it, you should have the option to play your provisional. It is a funny concept that sometimes players don't want to find their ball. Exactly. Like, let's say they're in match play and their opponent hit one super shitty also. You don't want to find your first ball because it might be in a worse spot than where your provisional is. That is that is an interesting quirk. That's a stupid rule. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some anger issues and some <laughs> other interesting tidbits of the Masters. <laughs> Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Teddy, do you have anger issues on the golf course? Um, occasionally. So my wife gets on me for anger issues in the car. I've really tried <laughs> to lower my road rage, but certainly my kids have heard me be like, you fucking idiot. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. So they've heard me do that a lot. Um, I only get mad on the golf course if I'm having a really good round and I completely fuck up a hole. You know, so like most rounds, I feel like only I'm really only satisfied how I play maybe one out of four, one out of five times. Other times I'm just like, all right, I'm going to shoot my 88 to 92 and maybe I'll try to make some money, maybe try to make a par or birdie down the stretch, whatever happens, happens. But uh, there is that occasional moment. I've been known maybe once a year to helicopter a club. What about you? I definitely have anger issues, which I think is pretty evident. If you listen to the show and you just listen to our <laughs> last segment, I get worked up so fast. Like I'm either zero to like, or a hundred, there is no middle ground for me. And so like, I can be so cool, calm and collected for such a long time. And then I just absolutely lose it. And I think it's intensified on the golf course. There's just something about golf that like 
eats at me, eats at my soul, and it just makes me so incredibly angry. So yes, I have thrown clubs. I have broken clubs. I am definitely on the Billy Horschel scale of um, anger on the golf course. But, I mean, <laughs> we have, we saw some some guys get pretty angry out there. I mean, Billy Horschel put on an absolute show for us both Saturday yes. and Sunday. Yeah, I think it's a new scale. It's zero to Horschel. Zero, um, zero to Horschel. <laughs> that was an amazing club slamming fit. Billy Horschel also had that moment where he slid down in his white pants and ended up on his Easter. I thought that was pretty cool. But what about Siwoo? The most surprising turn of events is that Siwoo Kim has anger issues. I never saw that coming in a million years at all. He is like, he never shows any emotion. Never happy, never sad, never angry. And all of a sudden he just boop, snaps his little putter and he has to use a three wood for the rest of the round. Insane. Of course, yeah, he putted beautifully with the three wood, way better than I would with an actual putter. It's so fun to see the guys when they putt with a three wood. But going back to yours, when you broke a club, was it in competition? And then did you, was it like an iron or did you ever have to putt with uh, with a hybrid or something? I've never done it in competition. I, in junior golf, I was kind of on the watch list because I would, oh. <laughs> I got mad a lot. List. Yeah. So, um, I would have one of like the rules <laughs> official following me just to make sure oh. I didn't have any like outbursts and throw my club. And I said, they would just be like, if you do that again, you're going to get kicked off. So oh. I, <laughs> I really had to watch it. And also like my parents didn't like when I would get angry and they said it was just unbecoming. So if I ever showed like that kind of emotion again, and then I probably shouldn't be playing. Um, so I've, I tried to limit it in playing, like in tournaments, but in practice, that's where I would like, I'd get really mad at it. And you know, so like Billy Horschel, when he gets mad, he smiles. When mm -hmm. I get mad, I cry. Like oh, any emotion that I experience that's <laughs> to an extreme, I cry. So it doesn't help. I just look psychotic <laughs> out there because Funny. I'm like mad and crying. And, you know, and Billy does the mad and like full on smile laugh, which might be a little creepier than the crying. I only cry when I'm happy or when there's like something really emotional going on in a movie. I never cry when I'm pissed off. Um, I was a decent tennis player growing up. And I think I grew up like watching John McEnroe yeah. and a little Bjorn Borg. Wow. Aging myself. And my parents would always say, Bjorn Borg had the worst temper and his parents took his racket away for a week when he like pitched a fit in a tournament. So they always held that over on me. I think actually I get angrier in tennis than in golf. Something just lends itself to when you get mad in tennis and you just want to throw that ball up and just whip it so <laughs> hard against the fence. And then I think it actually helps sometimes. Like I've, I read a study not long ago that when you, drop a bunch of F-bombs or expletives, it actually can be good for you. Like, get it out, and then you move on. Do you wish that we had more of that in golf? Like, I love when Billy gets mad, and it was fun oh, seeing yeah. Siwoo do that. Like, I love seeing the emotion, <laughs> and I almost feel like it's frowned upon. You always see when John Rom gets a little angry, and he doesn't get that mad. Like, he really doesn't get all that mad. Then all the commentators are like, oh, I can't believe he did it. You know, the fiery Spaniard back at it again. And it's like, why are you doing that? Like, this is fun. This is entertaining. Like, this is, like, great. Like, why yeah. do you always want them to be little robots out there? Yeah, I think they get into that, like, 
protective mode where they feel like they have to like protect the players and let's go away from this shot and show something else or else we're going to be mad at our broadcast team, which is crazy because right. Anything that humanizes these guys, I think is good for the game. And yeah, there's so many golfers out there. A lot of guys struggle to distinguish themselves. So you want to have the ones that like completely run hot and, you know, you want to have the volcanoes out there because certainly we have enough completely calm guys. Yeah, I I want all of the club throwing. I want the, yes. to see them breaking clubs. Like I think that's the best thing ever when you just see them like snap the club snap. over their knee. That is just uh, so pleasing to watch them do that, and it makes them like you're saying more real. Like yeah. you you can relate to that. I think anyone who has ever played golf has been at that point in a round where they are so incredibly frustrated. They just want to like snap a club over their leg. So I saw one live that was, I will never forget, you know, the golfer Thomas Peters. Yeah. He, uh, he, I think he's, he's like Belgium and I was just out at the masters and just kind of roaming around looking for something to write about. So on 17, he has a bad three putt and then he goes to tee off on 18 and he's in one of the smaller groups. So there may be 15 people by the 18th tee and he you know, snap hook, snap hooks one pretty bad way left. And he's walking off the 18th D box, boom, driver over his knee. And, and to do it at Augusta national, I think every, everybody was just absolutely shocked. And I was like, Oh, now I have to ask him about it afterwards because we're always looking for interesting notes and I'm yeah. the only media guy around here. So it's kind of a scoop. He was great talking about it afterwards, but when somebody does it at Augusta National, it's 10 times as shocking as any other tournament. Were all the patrons just like, <gasps> uh, looking around like, what did I just see? And of course, nobody can have it on video because nobody has their phones. So unless you literally saw it with your own eyes, you, you never get to see it. What did he say after? He was just great. He was just, yeah, he's like, probably like, not my best moment. Yeah, I did on my it. Temper. <laughs> Coach Small and Zoe's getting on me for that. That's the next step in my career, that kind of thing. That's, I've never seen it in person from another tour player. We had a girl on our team at U of A, and she was very fiery. And I will never forget this. I was walking with my assistant coach at the time and we look over to the tee box and we just see this, this girl just like full on like tomahawk her driver. Like she just like over her head and like thrusted it down as hard as she could. And then driver just stuck into the grass. And, and my coach was like, I got to go handle that. And just like, walked away. <laughs> uh, that was the first time I've ever seen someone like other than myself do something that insane. Yeah. So my buddies were playing at a course out here called Harborside. And uh, I, I wasn't with them last week. And on our text chain, they just said, had a moment of silence for you on number 10. And I had actually forgotten. But I think that was where I like, it's some awesome drive and I'm like, you know, only 50 yards away and here come the chili dips. So they remember, they were kind enough to remind me of when I blew up on that hole. Friends never forget that stuff. No, always <laughs> fun when like someone you're playing with gets a little mad too. It's a little awkward at first. Like I think everyone's like 
Do we say something? Do we not right. say something? Like, do we laugh about it? Because like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> What's the proper amount of time? Is it when the player, I think it's when the player holds out. I think yeah. that's the moment when you're allowed to, to start to uh, hassle them. I 100% agree. Something else I was excited to watch this week was Bryson not play well. Um, that was something that <laughs> I enjoyed. Uh, he struggled again at Augusta, which was expected. I'm so surprised that people were picking him to be an outright winner when mm. he hasn't proven himself to be successful on this golf course. He only had one decent round yeah. um, and even par 67. If any of you guys remember, Bryson famously said that Augusta is going to play at a 67. That's what par is to him. He Ever since he did that, he's only shot under par, I think, one time, and it was the 67 that he shot. Yeah. Um, he just, again, can't get it done at Augusta. Is it because nope. he's too boneheaded and he doesn't want to change the way he needs to play Augusta, you know, if he needs to do it the right way. I mean, he could take three woods off the tee or irons off the tee all day long. Yeah. And I think he would have played it significantly better than he played it um, this last week. You know, I watched him a ton on Thursday. They were showing a, a lot of his shots and he just kept his distance control sucked. I mean, he was just over the green constantly to back pins. I, so I don't know if it was a technical issue Maybe he can't judge the wind properly. Uh, I have, I, I have, I don't understand it. Why isn't he playing to just the middle of these greens? Maybe he's not confident enough in his putting that he can make a twenty-five footer. So he's trying to stick it in there to eight, ten, twelve feet. That one was baffling. Um, and then I didn't get to see you know much else. I know he had three three putts in one round because obviously that, uh, that, that made me a winner on a uh, points bet offering. <laughs> so I'm sure it's a combination of a lot of things where he doesn't have access to his green reading book. And then he, he did admit afterwards that that was an issue. So it's just a place where course knowledge helps tremendously. Like we saw with Zalatoris at stretches, he had a couple three putts. I feel like where he just didn't realize how uphill it was or how downhill it was. And, you know, I guess I'll, uh, I'll give Bryson a break there he i mean although he's played it probably five times now so he should have a better feel for it um it's gonna dog him now i mean there are great players like rory i mean yeah, rory has not won at augusta national a, a, a place that should be awesome for a guy who it's towering you know high draws as a right-handed player so those guys want that green coat so desperately and until bryson you know figures it out man he uh it's gonna dog him I don't think he'll ever be successful at Augusta without his green reading book. I think that is the biggest thing for him. He relies so heavily on having precise numbers and everything needs to be exactly the same week in and week out. And he's so reliant on that book. And when he doesn't have it, you, you can see that he's uncomfortable on the greens and it very clearly shows when he's at Augusta. And I think they should ban green reading books at all courses, especially in majors. I think reading greens is an art and that's what yeah. makes, you know, separates good putters from great putters. And it's a part of the game. And I think that having the books, it should not be allowed anymore, especially in majors. I like when they don't have them. Yeah, I would lean to that too. I, I'm basically down for whatever uh, prompts the guys to play more quickly. So yeah. would they play more slowly or more quickly if they didn't have the books? <laughs> would they be walking everything off and circling everything 200 times or I, I, what's your thought on that? How do you play faster? Gosh, I mean, 
like you're saying, it could go both ways. I think sometimes they put so much into that book that they're just analyzing it the the whole time. But on the flip side, they could now start second guessing themselves if they don't have the book and it will take them twice as long to read the greens. At what point though, it's like, can you not read a green? Yeah. Like you've been playing for almost all of your life and you can't read a fucking green. Like you're supposed to be a pro at this. And you have a caddy. And you have a caddy. Like it doesn't (laughs) take that long. Like when I'm playing with a caddy, and they tell me where to hit it. it. It speeds the process up so fast. And it's, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, we're playing for millions of dollars. You don't understand. But it's like, read the green faster. It's like people want in basketball or in f- football, you don't, you can't just like stand there forever and decide what play you're going to do. There's like a shot clock. Like you yes. have to get things done in a certain amount of time. And so I, I, they've kind of messed with that in the European tour with having a shot clock with like their pre-shot routines. But that should really be a part of it. Like they need to do that. I, I totally agree. I mean, whenever I'm playing with somebody and they're slow, I just start yelling floor. You know, like in the <laughs> casino, or because that's what we do in poker when somebody's taking too long to make a decision. It's yeah. just like clock. You know, we, we we don't have all day while we're young. Uh, I find Paige this is an unscientific study, but like the longer people take on these putts, they almost the worse always it is. miss them. I hundred percent. You know, if a guy starts taking longer than a minute, I'll watch and I'll just like actively root against them. And you know my powers of jinxing. So I will go ahead and jinx the player and they will invariably not only miss it, but like have a total misread. Well, the longer you take, the more time for bad thoughts to enter your mind too. And I always tell amateur golfers that I'm like, you don't need to analyze your shot the way that these pros analyze their shot. No. And it's different when you're hitting a approach shot because there are a lot of factors that come into play, especially at Augusta National, because the hills are so slopey. So you have shots like way above your feet, downhill, uphill, and you have to adjust for that. So it means you have to usually take different clubs and then, you know, the wind. That that will take time, and I understand that takes time. As an amateur, doesn't matter. Like, you're not playing courses like Augusta National, and you don't need to be as precise as they're hitting it as well. I mean, most of us are just lucky when we hit it straight. So just, like, get your yardage, grab your club, check the wind, and adjust. Like, it should only take you probably, like, 15 seconds to do your whole process. And for green reading, it's simple. You just do maybe, like, the four corners it should take you 30 seconds like and you and it, it should not take you long especially like the short putts it's like you're standing over it the longer you take the more it's like oh if, did i did i read that right did i not read that no. right am i i'm gonna miss it i'm gonna miss it. it's like no if you step up and you play faster you're just gonna be focusing on the shot at hand and not about anything bad that's gonna happen after well at the page teddy invitational uh we are going to have shot clocks everybody mm-hmm. is going to be playing in three hours and 15 minutes and it'll be a sensational television well even with the final group with xander and hideki they were a hole behind Ugh. which why are they not pushing these players and again yeah. i get it they're playing for a green jacket like it's more important yeah. you can't rush them but I think it's like an art to play fast. Like that's a yeah. part of the game. You don't have endless time to just decide on your shots and figure things out. I think they need to like do something about it. And it's not fun to watch either when it's just, it goes on forever. Yeah. I mean, there have been times where like the final group is put on the clock. And then usually when it's the USGA, everybody hammers the USGA. It's like, they're not holding anyone back. What are you doing? So I see both sides of that. I think in that case, you probably let the final group go because you've got this big team 
EV window anyway. You've got to fill it. Yeah. We'd rather see those guys than, you know, than a remix of uh, the Butler Cabin Green Jacket Ceremony. Oh, why is that so awkward and painful? <laughs> like, have they, why <laughs> can't they figure it out? So fun. Oh, God, it gives me, like, secondhand embarrassment. Like, I cringe. Like, I won't even watch it anymore because it just makes me so uncomfortable. It's like they do something where, like, the sound, it's like, I don't, I don't know. There's just something about it that makes me, like, I get the chills watching it. I don't like it. Uh, Get a a warm blanket, Paige, because we're going to have that every year. I I only watched (laughs) some of it this year long enough to where Jim Nance asked this perfectly solid question for Dematsuyama. And then he went through his interpreter and they went back. And I believe the answer was, it feels good. Hey, I'll take that. That was the end of the answer. (laughs) Uh, Short and sweet. I like that. Uh, Before we wrap up this segment, what was your biggest takeaway from the Masters this year? Um, Will's Altura suddenly comes to mind, but more so like Matsuyama. It's so big for Japan. It's it might be like the tiger effect on that country, yeah. maybe even for like all of Asia. Um, the masters must love this. The, the, the folks who run the masters are geniuses. They created this Asian amateur. I'm sure with the idea one day that they would have a champion. Obviously Japan is an incredible golf market with in, amazingly wealthy people and golf addicts. So now as popular as the masters was in Japan and Asia before Think about what it's going to be now. So I obviously, I wanted Speed to do great things. Uh, Justin Thomas fell on his face. We haven't talked about him. He was Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. That yeah. just completely slipped my mind. So there were a lot of guys who completely, uh, you know, not embarrassed themselves because it's golf and we all fuck up. But a lot of guys who probably did not sleep very well last night who, who had these prime opportunities. Um, but hey, uh, first major of the year, and uh, let's hope you and I can see it live next year. Yeah, that would be amazing. I would say my biggest takeaway, it felt like a, a leaderboard of the old with Decky mm. playing well and Spieth up there and Justin Rose up there, which was exciting. I love yeah. seeing guys who have maybe traditionally struggled lately to come up and play so much better. But that I totally forgot about Justin Thomas. I mean, he was everyone's favorite to yes. win this tournament. And I thought he was going to give it a really good run on Saturday. Ends up shooting a 75 after a complete mental collapse on, was it 13? 13, 13, 13, 13 on 13. And, um, just wasn't, wasn't there. What's up? Seriously. Yeah. That was weird to see. Cause he's always so focused in on what he's doing. And it just seemed like his mind was elsewhere and he didn't quite have the, the, the drive that he normally has. And meanwhile, the guy who who had a right to have his mind elsewhere was John Rahm, your guy. <laughs> he arrives at the course Wednesday after becoming a new dad. And, oh, my God, he played beautifully on Sunday. I mean, he was lighting it up and ended up, I think, finished fifth, which is a great accomplishment. Like, to me, he should probably be the favorite next year at the Masters going in. Um, you know, whatever. Forget about DJ. Forget about Spieth. Like, the way John Rahm does it, this time without much prep was incredibly impressive. 
I agree with that. And he was my pick. So I'm glad he played well for sure. Yeah. I thought it was a really interesting Masters. Again, I think we just have to manage our expectations. Nothing's ever going to be like 2019. And it will continue to get better. I think once the world starts to get back to normal, then Mm -hmm. everything will start to feel a little bit more normal again. And I'd love to see all the patrons there and the, the cheers. And they mentioned that several times where... You know, the cheers weren't quite getting back to the players. And so maybe that didn't, they didn't feel the stress as much, but um, love to be there next year. And hopefully we can do some live streams there. But before we wrap up this episode, let's get into some TNA. All right. So Paige, I think I want to ask you about this. People have been curious about what you do before a round of golf. (laughs) I'm all over the map. I have no kind of good system. I'm usually shoveling McDonald's into my mouth. Probably not the best, (laughs) but uh, what do you do stretch-wise and eating-wise? So now that I'm not playing competitively and I just play for fun, I normally just show and go. So I won't even warm up. I won't do anything. I'll just go to the first tee and I'll play. I play better that way because when I start to practice, I get in my head a little bit too much about it. And when I just step up, I have no expectations and I feel pretty good just going into it. When I was playing competitively, I had a routine down to the tee. It was the same every single time that I would show up at the golf course. I'd get there an hour and 15 minutes before. I would putt first and then I would go and chip and then I would head over to the driving range and I would work through my bag. So I'd hit 56 wedges first and then I would do 50, my 56 degree wedge first, not 56 wedges first. And then I know I would you're particular. Go, <laughs> not that particular. And then I would go nine iron, seven iron, five iron, two hybrids, three woods, driver, back to wedges. And then I would finish up by hitting just like three drivers going through my whole pre-shot routine. After that, I will go to the putting green and I'll hit lag putts and then I'll hit finish up with short putts. Um, I always try to finish off with like 10 to 20, uh, three three footers in a row. I have to make all of them in a row. And then I go to the first tee and I'm always there um, 10, 15 minutes before. That was my routine every single time that I played. What about eating wise? What would you eat? Uh, normally for breakfast, I, I, I would get so nervous that it was hard for me to have an appetite. So I would normally just eat like eggs or oatmeal. And then before the round, my mom would force feed me a banana basically. So she was always like, you have to eat, you have to stay hydrated. So she would always give me a banana before. And today I don't think you didn't hear this story. Um, I told this before you, before you were a part of the podcast, um, I am, my mom used to feed me baby food, like actual baby food as snacks on the golf course. So <laughs> straight peas. No, and it, no. And when I was like, <laughs> it's not like the, you know, the mushy baby Gerber. food. It was like, <laughs> we had these like little, they're like little meat sticks basically, but they were Ooh. really high in protein and sure. they were easy to eat on the golf course. And so I would always eat those. So I always had a banana, those <laughs> baby food, um, meat sticks and, um, like, I don't know, a protein drink or you were having apple squeezies. <laughs> I pretty much was like having baby food all the time. The meat sticks are great. I, I mean, the jerky and all that, they're delicious. Yeah. Um, Thank they're you. Great boost, but that's not baby food. <laughs> that's like adult food. 
No, it like had the Gerber baby on it and it was like in the the baby food section. Like we would Uh go to the baby food section to get the meat sticks, but they were quite delicious. But that was my, um, (laughs) that was my routine in college. I would do um, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So everyone on the team would just get peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Love PB&J. So, but I, I was not a big like snacker or eater on the golf course. I really liked just I, I could not eat. I couldn't get myself to eat because I was always so nervous, even throughout the round. So let's go post game. And so let's pretend, all right, you're out here in Chicago. We've had a great round. You kicked my ass. You've shot your 69. Uh, what is your ideal food and drink post round? So... Uh, definitely a hot dog, even a hot dog at the turn. There is like nothing better than a golf course hot dog. You have to do it. And I, and even when I was playing tournaments, ice cream, like I have to get ice cream after a round, good or bad round, we just get ice cream. Like, so that's something we would always do. <laughs> well, that's adorable. A lot of the clubs <laughs> out here make an art of the hot dog. So they do it, they split it. They grill both sides of it and they're really good toppings. You know, it's not, it's beyond just your like mustard or peppers or out here, Jardin era out here in Chicago. Um, so maybe we'll go to a place like that, that really takes pride in the dog that also like toasts the bun and makes a whole thing of it. But I can only eat my hot, I can only eat my hot dogs with ketchup. Oof. That's a problem. <laughs> Speaking of baby food. <laughs> i'm not a picky eater but when it comes to like a hot dog i think just like ketchup is i'll look the other way Paige. <laughs> absolutely yeah but you don't want to drink you don't want to have uh, ice cold beer after you play huh no i don't like the taste of alcohol like i said like i would only drink to just get drunk which is not yeah. a great philosophy no one should do that um but i don't <laughs> like the taste of i don't like the taste of beer i hate wine i will never drink wine i I don't mind like a like a pina colada or something that's like fruity that I can't yeah. taste. But besides that, no, I'm not. I don't. I don't mind beer, but like b- beer just reminds me of like beer pong back in college. And anytime I get like a whiff of it, it just reminds me yeah. of like dried beer on the floor from like bad college parties. Yeah, I think you're trying the, maybe the wrong beer. But he, here's a drink <laughs> I will propose. Um, okay, it is ginger half ginger ale, half beer on the rocks. What do you call that? Is there a name for it? It's kind of a shanty. Like, I, I think there are different forms of that, a shanty okay. or a shandy or something. And for some reason, I think it's best with red stripe beer. So like red stripe and ginger ale on the rocks. It, it's okay, the perfect po- post-round drink on a hot day because you get some beer you, and, and you know maybe that settles you down a little bit. You can drink a couple of them, two or three, and still drive because you're, it's only half beer. Uh, and it's light beer, but you're still getting the sweetness and the ice. So uh, that would be my rec. Okay. I'll have to try that out when I go to Chicago. Fantastic. Um, final question. Would you rather have a hole-in-one or a 400-yard drive? Oh, a hole-in-one? A hundred percent. Like, that is so special. No one is ever, like, during a round of golf... Ha- have you ever driven at like 400 yards? No one ever asked that. <laughs> the question is, have you ever had a hole in one before? So I don't think anyone would ever take the 400 yard drive. And then they'd be like, oh, was it downwind? Was it downhill? You get yeah. questioned about it, but a hole in one is a hole in one. But I think I've seen Shaq drive at 400 yards. I think you were there to witness that moment, weren't you? You know, I'm going to say this. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen this with anyone he hits it better with one arm than he does with two. That was bizarre. 
He he honestly would not. He couldn't make contact when he had. <laughs> I will. His clubs were also just rentals from the golf course, and oh, so they were for gosh. someone who was probably like you know five ten, and Shaq is like. <laughs> eight feet tall so they were so short and the grips were so tiny that his hands were like wrapped around it like four times but when he was trying to do two hands he missed it every single he couldn't he couldn't even hit the ball like he wasn't even making contact he was hitting like three feet behind it but then he had one hand and he was crushing it like 200 yards what kind of world are we living in where like a man who's worth, I don't know, half a billion dollars or whatever, it was, you know, seven feet, three, seven, whatever he is, doesn't have customized golf clubs. Like that to me makes no sense. But Paige, I've played with a guy, just some like random guy who joined our group and all of his short game shots were one arm. One arm? Yeah. All like the 40 to 60 yarders. And he was really good at it. So of course I tried it. It's so hard. Wasn't good at it. Yeah. So it, it, it's funny with that. And I feel like, did he use Putting. his right hand or his left hand? I think he was a lefty. I don't know. It was very impressive. It was a, it was quite a show. Well, because most people have to do that when they get the yips. And so it really helps with like your rhythm and your flow. I think he was a right-hander and it was just one arm lefty. That makes more sense. Yeah. So yeah. he probably has to do that. You see a lot of people chipping with just um, one hand if they have the yips and they can't seem to control it. Graham Dillette was doing that on tour because he had the Graham chipping Dillette. yips and he was he was doing some weird things with like letting it go one arm, doing one. It, it's hard. It's a little rough to see, but when you can do it, it feels so good. And that's actually a drill that I like to do is I'll hit shots with just my right hand and then I'll hit shots with just my left hand. You can really feel how like your hands are working through the ball. It's a really great drill. But yeah, Shaq was like it was so impressive with one arm <laughs> swings. Like the most impressive thing I've honestly ever seen because he just was hitting it's so pure every single time when he put that left hand on and it like couldn't he couldn't make contact for like the clubs i was like we need to get you some custom clubs he's like i don't i don't play golf i just like to hit my driver so i think i'd probably have to get him like a, a pretty sick driver yeah you got to get something that's all tricked out that says shack on it you know that <laughs> something is like just for him i think that definitely has to happen um, and I got to try some of these drills you're talking about, um, you know, one arms, two arms, no arms. There, there are times where I'm a little desperate in the chipping category. Yeah, that's a really great drill. Again, it just like loosens your hands up and you can really see how the club is bottoming out at the bottom because you don't have the strength. So you're not like pulling up through it. Yeah. Your arm just literally has to fall through it. And you can see, yeah. you know, like if your hand's turning over and you can see the difference between like what your right hand has to do through impact and what your left hand has to do through impact. Uh, it really helps too with like rough shots if yes. you're in the rough. And I, sometimes I'll even like just chip a couple because you, again, you can just kind of like, with that shot, most people try to hit it so hard, and that's why it just flies forever. But you don't really need that much power through it. You almost need to just, like, drop it on the back of it, and it will pop out. And so with your right or left hand when you're just doing, you know, individual arm shots, it just naturally happens that way. And so, like, that's the tempo and that's the flow because people aren't strong enough to hit it with the same force that they do it too. So I love that drill. It's a great drill. And you have to do it with both arms too, though. So don't yeah. just do it with your right. Don't just do it with your left. You have to do both of them to kind of even out. Sounds very tedious. Well, I am so excited to start playing golf. My plan was to play nine holes on Friday, but I think it's going to be about 51 degrees here. Oh, and no. I still would. <laughs> I would walk in 51 degrees, but I'm getting my second shot. Um, of the Moderna on Thursday, and I took a little little Twitter poll, 
And a lot of people are saying, be prepared to kind of get your ass kicked. So it's probably not going to happen on Friday. Both my parents are now fully vaccinated, which is great. But my dad didn't have any reaction to the second shot. And my mom, she had just like a little bit of a fever. But a lot of people I've talked to said they've been like knocked out after it, which is kind of scary. Like, I I don't know how I feel about that. But that's exciting that you're going to be like fully vaccinated. And then once I'm fully vaccinated, we can go play golf and have beers and ginger ale, hot dogs. I can give you chipping lessons. It's going to be so much fun. Can't wait. I've had so many of my Chicago friends. Hey, when's Paige going to play with us? I'm like, slow your roll, buddy. We will set up a great golf itinerary, but it's all uh, TBD. Well, that's exciting. Teddy, I want to thank you again for coming on. As always, you are the best. And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, We always appreciate the sport and everything that you do for us. And I won a master's hat that Teddy is going to give to me. So maybe, maybe I might do a little giveaway with that. We will see. I know I said that last week, but it was a bit hectic with the masters and everything that we were doing. So I'll see me what I can pull together for our little podcast family. But again, thank you guys as always for listening, supporting us, and you'll find us here next week. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.